Hello from Cork to the world. This is the Song Collector Podcast, brought to you by Roy Buckley Music. Episode 2. Great to be back again with everybody. And we know, Roy, that we were listened to in the four corners of the world the last time out. The interview with uh, Christy and Joe went down an absolute storm. It went down a storm everywhere, PJ. Um, I was getting messages and, and, and private messages from people and texts and phone calls from friends and things around the world, but also people I didn't know at all. Australia, Canada, England, um, Las Vegas, the boys are coming from America and everything. Yeah, yeah with great, huge response. Yeah, and a friend contacted me from Tokyo. To oh, really? They, they were That's actually, another one. I didn't know They actually you. didn't think he was still with us. Would you believe it? Really? They, were, they hadn't hurt, lost touch completely with Aslan. Oh, really? So they were so thrilled to hear the Christie's Hail and Hearty, which he is at the a moment. A lot of people loved the interview. A lot yeah. of people yeah. were... Because of how they got into um, the highs and lows and, and yeah. you know, everything. It was just... It was a really powerful interview, as I said, the last day. Two lovely lads. Two yeah. lovely, yeah, lovely yeah. lads. And, and the Sound Collector Sessions went down an absolute treat. With two solo shows again, yeah. PJ. There's a great piece of video I got myself. Christy went right down into the crowd, almost down on his knees to sing Crazy World. I thought, what a special, special oh, what a, moment. What, what a, what a yeah. show, man. Fabulous, fabulous. Now, today we're talking to a man who's become a very good friend of yours after you met in Strange Circumstances. And that's all explained. But we're celebrating also with this particular interview and podcast, his 60th birthday. Tell well, us a bit about Mikey Hanrahan. Well, Mike Hanrahan, I mean, look, we we finished the last podcast with one of his songs because it tied in with, with Ronnie Drew being Ronnie's 10th anniversary of his passing. So, I mean, that's only one little avenue of um, of Mikey's career, you know, working with Ronnie. Go back further. Growing up in Clare and all these Kaylee bands and playing Tin Whistle in the... With, with all his family and all that kind of stuff in these trad sessions. And then um, to team up with Maura O'Connell and they had a two-piece going called Tumbleweed. And then Maura went off with Dave Dannon and uh, Mikey joined his brother Kieran and the rest of the guys in, in uh, Stockton's Wing. Mm. You know, they, they, they blazed the trail themselves. And the whole thing has come full circle now with Stockton's Wing back on, on the road again. Well, Mikey also had a solo career after yes. Stockton's Wing and then he teamed up with Ronnie Drew from the Dubliners, another icon, and they toured for about 10 or 12 years together. Like, the guy, as well as that, that's the performance side of it. He's the only guy I know, like, it's, it's unprecedented to have sort of three times as chairman of Imro looking after artist rights and all that kind of that's another mm. side to him that you don't really get to see yes. you know and he's been hugely supportive of this whole podcast idea since we first mentioned it yeah to yeah yeah um, Mikey I said this before about him he's one of the the great guys in our industry that actually really supports the new ideas and up and coming artists and he likes mm. performing with them or going to see them and things he's just one of those great guys man and that's how you met him and he told us that story in, in this interview which we recorded actually while you two were doing a recording session together yeah he, I was delighted he came in to um, record with me on this new project that I'm working on and um, we had a, we had a chat with him for, the, for this podcast he's become a big mentor to you and big I, time, I, I, yeah. I know, I know that would be has. the word yeah, actually yeah. yeah mentor would be a good word to use Let, let's have a listen walk away Walk away, talk away, looking for someone to blame. 
Mike, thanks, thanks for doing this with us. Um, the, the curious question I wanted to start with, for me anyway, was I remember Stockton's wing back to Sheemsa. This fellow wouldn't remember Sheemsa. Right. I remember Stockton's wing at Sheemsa. You kind of couldn't have Sheemsa without Stockton's wing. And then the next thing I heard was you had retired from the music business. Is that true? Did you actually hang up the guitar and say, I've had enough? Yeah, I, I hung up as a profession. Um in 2007, to, uh, Ronnie Drew, I was with Ronnie Drew for over 10 years and he was diagnosed with cancer. And I, uh, his wife's dear said, Mike, this is real. This is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. He's not going to go through this. And she said, I suggest you to kind of look, look around, you know, because he won't be touring again. So I thought about it and I, I, I just didn't really want to jump up on another horse. Mm. And I had just finished my uh, stint with Imro board. I was chairman for the, the, the previous six years. And that was kind of hectic work. So I was burned out from the music. I'm more burned out from the music business. And I hadn't the heart to try and uh, get into something new creatively. So I didn't know what to do. I just want, I knew I wanted out from for a while. So I took time out to think about it. And um, I, the, the Bertie Ahern had, been involved in this SSIA money that we all saved and mine matured we all matured together the the, mu- the money and everyone was buying holidays and cars and I said do you know what I think I might learn go down to Ballymaloo and learn how to cook because nice. I knew uh, Darina but I knew Rory um, Allen who runs the Ballymaloo house he's a musician and I, know, I knew Rory really really well and he ran a couple of gigs for myself and Ronnie and just, him just saying Will you come down and just do it? Mm. Don't mind talking about it. So I did, and I loved it. Because working with Ronnie, I suppose, and watching that awful illness, that, and it took him slowly. Mm-hmm. Ronnie lasted a long time. I mean, you were very close. That yeah. must have been very hard to, to, to work with Ronnie, knowing the end was coming. I was devastated by Ronnie's death. I really was. And it took me a few years to kind of get through it in my own head and realise, even still to this day, his anniversary was recently, and... Mm his 10th anniversary and it, I could just Ronnie's with me every week like I wouldn't I wouldn't say every day because that'd be silly of me to say that but he's definitely with me every week and every gig I do he's always there because I always give him a mention and uh, I remember him and I try and remember some of the stories he had so we were just very close there was two of us in a car travelling all over the world mm. and uh, Alan O'Shanley joined us for a while but essentially it was myself and Ronnie on the road together we we and we were great friends. We, we had we we talked the same kind of language. We understood the same thing about life. We had great the same appreciation of of uh, literature. Uh, we were political animals. We and we loved giving out yards. <laughs> he <laughs> does. He still loves in the out. car. So, <laughs> um, he was just great company, and he was he was a really dear dear friend. As was his wife Deirdre, who was an amazing woman. So yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a tough one. And like you said, when he passed, you were done with music. And then this fella here, the story as I understand it, was this fella here was doing a gig down in, in Pat Shorts. And he, did he or did he not persuade you to come out and do a song? He did. He did. And I wasn't well pleased at all. I was finished in the kitchen. I, like the shift in the kitchen. I was running the kitchen for Pat. Um, and like... <laughs> Roy was booked in for the gig and 
You booked me actually, I think. Yeah. You were running the music there. For yeah, I, yeah, I took over the music because at one point when I arrived in Pat Shorts, there was um, there was a guy up playing the guitar and a keyboard and singing and he was doing none of them. He was miming everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I actually had to go up to front in front of the in front of him just to convince myself that I wasn't losing it, and sure enough, he wasn't. He was doing nothing, and I said to him afterwards, I "said uh, what what are you are you not you're not playing?" I was sure Jesus, we're all doing that. We all got about. And I said, "Pat, to Pat, I said, can I take over the running into music?" <laughs> and I'd heard Roy playing one gig, and I was saying, "This is what we want in the pub. This is the kind of music we want." So Roy came out, and I've been a fan of Roy's since day one. And uh, he came out to, to the pub and sang that night and just called me on stage. There was a big hullabaloo about getting me up on stage and <laughs> I wasn't at all. Well, what was I going to do? You know, like, it was, I do remember that vividly. It was brilliant because I was trying to get him to come and play a song collector session and I didn't know him. I didn't know him, Mike. You know, I knew all of who he was mm. and all that. But yeah, and then uh, he didn't want to come up and sing at all. So I kind of press ganged in. <laughs> I got the crowd in the bar. To kind of get on my side first, that he was kind of peer pressured into coming up, and then he did it. Yeah. And from that to playing the sessions, the first ever song collector session, Stockton's back on the road, Mike. This this is history repeating itself. Back on the road touring again. How does that feel? It feels amazing, and I'm glad to be back on the road. I'm glad to be back in the music. I did ten years in kitchens, and um, I I had enough. I had enough of it last year and I just said I'm going to come back on the road and try something. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, Stockton's did a couple of gigs and they went so well. We celebrated 40 years and the reaction was really outstanding. And we all said, look, there might be something there. Let's, let's, let's celebrate 41 years. And we're going to celebrate 42 and 3 and 4 and 5, hopefully. you know. So <laughs> it's, it's, And it's great because, as I say, Roy, you, you would have been... You wouldn't have even been around when they were at their peak and Shames of Cushley. And there were certain events you just couldn't have without Stockton's Wing. And that's where we kind of move to the songs, isn't it, Roy? Because well, this is, this is what it is. Like, um, everybody knows Beautiful Affair. Everybody knows Walk Away, you know. And, and we had it all that he wrote after uh, his Stockton's Wing days, Mike. Uh, they're all great songs, like, you know. Mm. And everyone, the songs live true and they cut through. And even it just... that That's the beauty of music, though, you know. You... You hear something and then you go and find out who they are and then you look things up and, and all that, you know? Find all the other music. Yeah. I often say this to other people, like when you write a song um, as an ordinary job and songwriter, singer, and then you discover maybe, what, nearly 40 years later that wherever Irish people gather and someone produces a guitar, the chances are that the first few strains of Walk Away, Our Beautiful Affair, yeah, definitely will come up in a pub in New Jersey or, or in God or knows if there's, Hong Kong. If there's a tin whistle player in the band, yeah. you're going to hear him doing Roachie's bit of the, uh, mm. uh, 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 his riff. You know, it's iconic and Beautiful Affair and stuff. What, what does that mean to him, Mike, from the night you sat down to write that song? like, oh, Where were you when you wrote it? I, you know? The song is really Doolin and La Hinch uh, imagery. And I written, I started writing in Doolin because I lived in Doolin for a while and worked there. Um, back when I left school, we were playing music up there. And Doolin was... It's interesting because I've been writing a book, uh, memoirs, and, and I had to deal with the beautiful affair and try and understand where it all came from. Mm -hmm. And I have a better understanding now because it was written out of a time when I was just out of school. I'd come from a very uh, conservative, uh, beautiful upbringing from my family and my parents. But it was very conservative and I suddenly discovered Doolin. I discovered people from all over the world. 
different religions, different music, different thoughts, um, philosophies. And that's what that song came out of. It's about uh, a journey, getting out there and opening up the doors and, and letting it all in. And that's, that's where the song came from. I know <laughs> 40 years later, finally understand why the song it is. So, and when I listen to the song, a song by anybody, I am, I am, I'm very touched and, and uh, blessed and delighted because it's great. There's nothing better a song I can get than someone else singing your song, you know. Mm. And so many people sing this song and I love it. It's it's a it's it's just it's a great honor that people will take take your song and and sing it to people. Yeah, I I couldn't say any more, PJ, except mm. that I'm. It, it makes me really happy. So to go a little back further a little bit from that, um, when you started out, I first of all, growing up, I know you you were around all these trad sessions and stuff in, in being from County Clare, of course, and um, then. How did that go for you? And then the next thing is, how did you lead into meeting up with Maura O'Connell and Tumbleweed, the two piece you had going? How did that call come well, about? Well, I kind of left Irish music, the tried music, when I discovered the guitar about 12 years of age because we'd been playing music in, in a kind of a family band since we were children. So were you playing different instruments? I was playing Tim Whistle oh, and, right. and I was singing. I was, I was the singer for the band. And we'd sing uh, Kevin Barry and all those songs and um, The Lightning Express, that great song, The Lightning Express. Uh, uh, and then I've discovered a guitar and then I discovered uh, Leonard Cohen and that kind of, the, the Irish music then left, I was left behind. But I always <laughs> remember my dad, because my dad was a great supporter. He he loved music, but he once we were playing music, he didn't care what we were doing. But I used to, I used to come home from school and do my homework and then head upstairs and I, I bought the Leonard Cohen songbook and I had every song off by heart and that's how I learned how to finger pick the guitar was from Cohen's book and I often <laughs> my dad is always I'd have six or ten songs sung and he'd shout up Mikey have you learned that song yet? <laughs> <laughs> to him it was all it all sounded the, sounded same, the same you know. Yeah. but uh, so it was from there then I started I sang, sang a rock band when I was in school and Do you remember the name of that band? Yeah the band was called Effigy Effigy okay and there was uh, three electric guitars all trying to be the lead guitar player at the same time, going into the one amp, and we had we had a bit of fun with that band, and, and it was nice. We were and we were writing songs even at that age. How old were you being around this? About sixteen, fifteen wow, or sixteen, okay. and um, and then I I started doing my own solo gigs uh, around Ennis, and I hooked up with Maura, a friend of ours, TV Hornan, who who now is the guy behind Spree in Waterford. He was our best buddy, and. He suggested the two of us get together and sing, and that's how it started. We started singing together, and and how long did that go on for? We doing it for a couple of years. About two years. Two say. years. Yeah, we we went down our first tour to the on the folk circuit of Ireland. Uh, um, our first tour, we had a Black Morris Minor, <laughs> and the, then we uh, TV upgraded the car, and we had a Volkswagen, and we used to tour around the folk clubs. And that time there was a great folk club circuit in Ireland. And they met twice a year to organise the gigs. So you could snail your way around Ireland from town to town with very little expense. And each club uh, supported the other. They all supported each other right. and helped each other. So if somebody came from from uh, Australia to do an Irish tour, they'd have about 12 or 14 gigs organised. So it was, it was a great, healthy Tandy, circuit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the clubs were... They, they were just... They were so well run. And... 
our, our club in Clare was Crushin, Joe Gallagher was a great man. And he, he supported myself and Maura, gave us our first gigs and kept pushing us on. And, and his you need fo- people like that behind you, don't oh, you? Oh, he was so good. He Giving was, the, the kids the hunger and stuff. And he'd sit at the gigs, he'd sit at every gig in the back. If you as much as breathe too much, Joe would be on your case to, to, to shut up. It's a listening club. Mm-hmm. So, and we saw some great bands there. Yeah. At what point in all this, like Morris Miners and everyone got the story of the battered Morris Miners, some of them with only three wheels. But at some stage going around uh, doing the clubs, you decided there was a profession in this. There was a there was a there was a living to be made or was the living was the living important? We I have to honestly hand in my heart. I never thought about it as making a living in the music ever. I never until much later mm. when you have when you have responsibilities. Mm. But f- as, as long as I can remember for so many years, I didn't have any responsibilities. I was out doing what I always wanted to do since as far back as I can remember, remember was play music and perform. My sister always says to me, Gay says, Jesus, Mike, I remember when you were a young fellow, I always said, I want to be on stage. I want... That's <laughs> all she kept. She remembers that. So I think when you go into the music business at that young age, you, you, you don't see it as a career. I mean, nowadays it's all changed. You've got all these... Um, X factors and all that, and they're creating the industry at for these people at a very young age. That's fine too. But in our day, you just you just follow the dream. I couldn't wait to get out of my job in Shannon Airport to get on the road, you know. And I remember. What I, were you doing I, in Shannon Airport? I was. I worked first as a as a kitchen porter. Oh yeah. Yeah, for a, a kind of a um, the head a head chef out of hell. <laughs> uh, I got an early start in it, and. Um, and then I worked in Shannon Mail Order. We were selling stuff to America. And then uh, a job came up in Ennis by a priest set up this amazing drop-in centre for the teenagers of the town. It was, it was uh, cutting out stuff. It, it, nothing like this had happened in Ireland. He had, he'd come up with this idea from, from some friend of his abroad. So we set up a, a coffee shop and a, a drop-in centre generally for music and for, for games. And there was a job in the, running the coffee bar and I took that. And I told my, my, my parents at the time that uh, I think I was getting something like £26 a week in Shannon Airport. And I told them I was getting £28 a week just to soften the blow <laughs> when in fact I was only getting 22 Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so <they wouldn't> <laughs> but I figured I'd make it up in, the, in a few gigs as well, Peter. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. so then, like, how did the... Because Stockton Swing was going for a year or two before you joined your brother, Karen and, and the rest of the guys. Mm. So how did that come about? Was there, like, an official... Um, were, you, were you brought into the band officially or was it kind of you just stepped in? Or? Yeah, well, I'd been playing with the lads at all the sessions and, and, and in fact, in Doolin, myself, Kieran, and Paul... We we played dueling all the time. We used to, we used to go up to Paul Roach, yeah, right. The flute player. We played in McGann's pub. Uh, a friend of ours, Tommy McGann, had, had just bought the pub, and uh, brought us up as young fellas to play. So I was always playing sessions with them, and then I was doing the gigs with Mara, and then the lads asked myself and Mara to join the band because their singer was leaving, Tony Cannon, and I said tomorrow. I said, "How about it?" And Mara said, "No, I." I I don't want to go on the road. I don't want to be a professional musician. <laughs> I, I want to stay and help my mum in her fish shop. They had a huge fish business in Ennis. So that's what I want to do. I, I, I like singing in sessions. And, and besides, I, I, and this is true, she says, I don't really want to sing in a traditional band. I said, that's okay. But she said, you go, please go. And she pushed me on in, into Stockton's wings and said, you, you go for it. And I did. And about six or eight months later, I was in Logan Airport in Boston. 
and I met Maura. She was just about to start touring with the Dan. Yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> Hang on, didn't we have a conversation? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was great. We had such a laugh. Oh, she's a great singer. What a voice! Oh, it's she amazing. Has. And then she Still had is. she had a Molly, a Myers Molly, but yeah. it was the following year. So uh, Morris Gray took off, and then she went to Nashville, and we were in touch all the time. Yeah, he's doing the odd gig together when yeah, she's home, I, don't I, you? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I live for it. So, Mike, I wanted to ask you. Um, about the craft of songwriting and how much time do you spend on it? Would you, well, maybe in, we'll, we'll go back to the early days where you were penning songs like Beautiful Affair and Walkaway and stuff, and I'm up to now. So there's kind of two questions in that. Do you still have the same um, drive for writing? Or is it something, do you need something to inspire you now to write? Or how would you go about songwriting in general? I, I write a lot less than I used to um, from songs. But when I was younger, I was writing every day, every day. Uh, lately, I I have some ideas that, um, but I haven't got time to to get at them. I write the odd song, but I I will be getting back into it because I'm I'm just finishing this memoir that I've been writing, and that's kind of it's taken over my entire life. And I wanted to ask you about that next as well. Yeah, yeah. it's just taken over my life. So, but at least has got me back into writing. So, I intend to carry on with that uh, and and writing. And there's another show I need to write. Um, regarding the War of Independence, which I'm researching. And there's no doubt out of that there'll be a song or two as well okay. that I'll write myself. Um, so when I do, I, I tend to, to spend a lot of time on songs. Um, I mull over um, little words. <laughs> yeah. And it could be it or at. I yeah, could spend, yeah, yeah. spend three weeks at it. Uh, so I do spend a lot of time. I'm a slow writer, but I don't mind. And I, I've... I find it hard to believe anybody ever wrote a song in five minutes. Mm -hmm. I always kind of laugh when I hear a guy saying, oh, I wrote for five minutes. No, you didn't. <laughs> you know, so, but, um, but I like to spend time with it and I like to, it's a craft for me and I always approach it as a craft and I want to make sure that song uh, is structured right and it's got nice movement in it. And, and these are things I've learned over the years. I was involved with a lot of songwriters from Nashville when I was at Imro and you learn from, the, the really the excellent craftsmen that they were and, and how to put a song together and the little tricks and and then I used to teach a little bit of songwriting so I, I view it as, as a craft Tell us about this um, this memoirs book you're doing is it about your whole life is it touching all aspects of your life or is it just about the music or tell us a bit about it Well <clears throat> unfortunately I can't tell you too much because my publisher okay. will, 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 okay. will uh, he'll listen to this and he'll give out yards to me <laughs> But I am working. I started writing, just putting notes down, and I liked the idea of it. And then I got into it more and more, and a couple of my mates who are writers themselves and involved in, in publishing books, they said to me, go for it. So it'll be it'll be next year, late Great. next year. Okay, so we're looking at a year or two's yeah, time. Yeah, I think it'll be, it should be finished by February, I'd say, and ready to go. So... um all the touring and being around with Stockton's Wing and living, like, it must have been a huge shock for uh, a kid coming up from Ennis, County Clare, to the Big Smoke and living in Dublin. Would you have been, how old you, when you when you moved? Would you have been, you would have been pretty young that time. I'd say I was 19, maybe. Maybe 19. I, I think it was about 19. Um, yeah. You, it, like, the reason I'm saying it is because I know throughout your career, obviously Ronnie Drew being a big part of it, but the Dubliners in general, I know Stockton Swing and the Dubliners uh, collaborated on things over the years. So all these, all these great guys would have been in their prime as well when yeah. you were heading to Dublin at 19 and hanging out with all these guys. Were you, would you have known them when you were that young? 
Yeah, we okay. got to know them very, very early. We got to know them because we kind of hit we hit the scene very early. Um, I think it was about nineteen eighty one or eighty two. I would have been twenty three then. Um, that's when the the beautiful affair hit. But before, prior to that, we were doing little bits of tours. We were creating a bit of a stir, so we started meeting the dubs early. Yeah, particularly the dubs. Because there always seemed to me like there was a, a bit of camaraderie and a kind of like, like a brotherhood. And when you look back at some of the old footage and things where it was like the Furies, yourself, Stockton's Wing, yeah. the Dubliners, you were all pals, all, all doing things in groups individually, standing on your own, but also coming together so beautifully sometimes. Yeah. I just, I, it seemed, because being a fan of Irish music, to me it was like, it's uh, just the kind of the stuff the dreams are made of because... You know, you're hearing these great guys who can play well or sing well and then they collaborate like as if they're just pals. And you were among all that, so that's what I'm asking. It was yeah, we were. We, we met the, the Furies very early on uh, at, at festivals because it was like in 78 and 79 uh, and 1980, there was the Listening Varna Folk Festival, there was mm-hmm. uh, the Ballastadair Folk Festival. So that's where you'd get to meet the people. And we were very young, but the band kind of... Pulled a punch with with a sound. We were our sound was so different yeah. that we caused a bit of a stir, and we went, we caught their attention, and they loved what we were doing, you know, mm-hmm. and the dubs definitely got what we were at, and because they saw it in 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 us, a young Dubliners. They saw you moving it forward. But, but they saw they saw a young Dubliners when <laughs> they were kids. Yeah, because like the music is different, but. By God, the day blazed the trail mm. in the 60s. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody did what they were doing. You know, uh, ba- a banjo player like uh, like Barney, Barney and, yeah, and Luke, uh, Ronnie, Sh- Sh- John Sheehan. Like, what an, a, a setup of it and, and the music. So I think that's what this, they saw in us and they looked after us so well. I mean, we learned so much from the, the boys. And there was a great group, like the, the Dubs, it was the Furies, Paddy Riley, Jim McCann. I'm, they looked after us like so we became their family. You were like uh, younger brothers now. Yeah, yeah. The, we were we were their family, and and they're the people I always look That's up to, magic. and and I really appreciate everything that, that everything they ever did for us. Brendan Grace was there. Yeah, like there's a great old com- community in the music business. I, I'm sure it's still there now, but different people have different communities, and they build. We just had our community, and we were blessed. I just loved it because you're all you're all great to you perform and everything, but. Do you remember back in um, 2006, we, we, we didn't even know each other that time, Mike, but I remember seeing you play, you and Morris Lennon, and I think it was, was it Fitzy? Yeah, uh, 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 Pat Fitz. Yeah, he was... Um, God be good to him. The three of you were, were playing guitar, Fitzy was on keys and uh, Morris on, on fiddle, and he toured with the Legends of Irish Folk. I went to see that in the Opera House. Oh, wow. The night I was there at the show, Ronnie was on it, larger than life character Paddy Riley was supposed to be on it but he couldn't make it so who stepped in for him only Liam Clancy Jesus you know like yeah. another giant in the folk world Finbar Fiore was on it and Johnny McAvoy that, yeah. that was the night I went they could, they could have sold out the opera house each of them on their own but yet they get together to do this Irish folk thing yeah. <clears throat> they, they understood how important it was to keep it alive you know? it was an idea um, uh, dreamt up by, by Brian Hand who's the son of the great Jim Hand who was mm-hmm. He was a manager, manager, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he was a great man. Uh, Jim actually was the guy that, that brought the Dubliners and the Pogues together. For the Irish Roar? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's all Jim. Was that's that his all, idea? That's Jim, that's, that's Jim Hand. He did loads. Jeez, he, uh, Paddy Riley, the Fields of Atten, right? That's Pizza Jim. Pete St. John's, yeah. 
the the Fury Brothers, uh, the Greenfields of France. That's Jim Hand. Eric Bogle's yeah. song. Yeah, so it was Jim put all these things together. He was, wow. it was a genius. Pretty well connected to to, like it's grand. You got you got to see that first, or you got to visualize it before you can do it. So what a oh he was aware, like he was so he was so tuned into the music business. And I remember he heard the Greenfields of France on the original, the first ever Stockton's Wing album. I would I didn't record it; it was the previous singer. And I remember meeting, meeting Jim when I joined the band, and the Furies had broken with the Greenfields of France. It was number one, <clears throat> and Jim came up to the boys and says, "Thanks very much for that song, lads. <laughs> Have you any more?" <laughs> so no, Jim was great. Jim managed us for a while as well, but his son Brian oh, no, Brian. had this idea of getting the legends together. So last, uh, another question I wanted to get to. We're coming to the end of this. So um, for any aspiring Irish or worldwide songwriter, young songwriters, I mean. Any aspiring young songwriters and stuff, what's the advice you'd give them after, what, 42 years you said now with Stockton's Wing on, on the road? Your whole life in music, but what's the advice you'd, you'd give them? Well, I just think you'll follow a dream. I I, I put up a post recently on, on Facebook and some young uh, songwriter... Uh, I was giving him advice and getting on radio and he said, and some young friend said, well, it's easy for you, you know. And I, and I, I kind of took issue with that. I thought, mm-hmm. it, it's not easy for me and it wasn't easy for us. We were young. What do you think he meant? That it was easy for me to talk and, and give this advice, helping people, like, you get, the, get on the radio. You get on the radio when they want to put you on the radio, you know. Mm-hmm. And it really annoyed me that, 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 to realise that when I was when we left home, we left with nothing. We hadn't a shilling. We used to drive around in the van. We used to cook our own food in the van. And it, I'm not saying this as a kind of a whinge at all because we had a great time. Yeah. But we had nothing. But, but what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that you fucking grafted and you walked your way up. That's to the it. only way you do it in life, yeah. in anything you do. Yeah. Unless you want to join X Factor and become that instant success, and good luck to you. Uh, that's grand too. But. Um, there's fun in <laughs> trying to make it. Yeah. You know, there really is you would, fun. You, you, what I'm hearing from you is that you wouldn't change anything for the no. world. And my dad was great. My dad was a philosopher. Like he, when I, when I left to go on the road, my mum was really upset uh, with me for giving up the grand pensioner job. And dad turned to my mum and he says, Mary, once he has that guitar over his shoulder, he'll never go hungry. Yeah. And that, that was the kind of, um, that, that was the drive I got. So when you have that in your head, and I say to all young people, just go out and do it, you know. So what if it doesn't work out? But at least you tried. Are you? you know, and you if get, you don't do it wholeheartedly, there's no point in doing it. You get back what you put into it, really. I really believe that. And if you want to be a quick instant star, there's ways of doing that too. But but then you then you don't want to become a, a songwriter or a singer. You just want to be famous. That's all. Well, that that's is, that's what know? it is. That's what's wrong. And then unfortunately, there's a lot of them left in, in the dung heap. You know, of, Afterwards, of, of X yeah. Factor, like, and that's a pity too. But I don't knock it. But it, it, I just said to people, follow that dream, you know. So I've been, I've been talking here for a lot, so I'm going to leave the last question to PJ. Thanks very much, uh, Mike. For, um, My pleasure. It's great. And you know, it's always great to work with you. It's great. And I love what the Song Collector Session is doing. I think it's doing a lot of great work for, for, for writers. It's given us our platform to, to sing our songs. And it's also given us a chance to meet each other, you know. Yeah. I don't get a chance to meet Joe and Christy too often, so... It's great to hang out with them, you know, or Liam Riley, you know, mm. John Spillane, uh, Francie Conway, all these great guys, Finbar, the people that you have 
you've brought to the stage. So you keep doing what you're doing, boy. I'm telling you, because well, it's the, fantastic. The, the, thanks for saying that. It means a lot to me. But I, I, I said this before. I, I do get a kick out of watching it. And, uh, and do you know what? A big thing for me is, like you just said, putting you guys on stage. Sometimes it might be for the first time. Sometimes it might, might not happen in 20 years or 30 years and stuff. But every time, like, something magical happens. Mm. And, and that's what I love most about it, you know? That's great. We love it in you. I can tell you that much, every one of us. Well, thanks for being, Mike. Yeah. And thanks for coming down. Mike, how, how I like to end all these interviews is to ask people to look back at the stories they've been telling us and the, the life they've led in the music industry. Is there one moment, one event, one thing that happened? One person, one, one, one song, yeah, anything. One anything. That it's You'd give it all up just to have that one thing again. Made it all worthwhile. Yeah, that's a good question, actually. We've loads of good questions. I could, I, I could um, <laughs> well, there was one, but up till recently there was only one, and then there was, there was a second one. And the original one was uh, a conversation I had with Sammy Davis Jr. after we performed with him. Uh, for the two shows in, in Dublin. I mean, it's a long story, one couldn't do it, but he invited us on to play with him. We did. And on the second night, we were saying, thanks so much for everything, thank you. Uh, because it was Sammy Davis Jr., we're our, yeah, our childhood legend. hero, legend. And he said to me, don't thank me, Mike. Life's a two-way street. I'm in Ireland, he said, and I've got the best band in Ireland on stage with me in front of the Irish audience. That's good for me. It makes me look good, Mike. I'm very good for you. It makes you look good. That's what this business is about. It's a two-way street. Never forget that, Sonny said. And I've never forgotten it. Great advice, wasn't it? But the best advice. And then the second moment was at the Flay in August when my brother Kieran was awarded the Flanagan Brothers Award for the banjo and services to Irish music. And Kieran, Tommy Hayes, Morris Lennon, Paul Roach and myself, the five original members who kind of blazed the trail with beautiful affair and walk away and, and spent our years all around Europe in vans and we came back together for the first time in 30 years wow that that particular lineup and there was a magic in the air there was a magic in the music and the audience it was if I could bottle that and keep it I would I'd, I wouldn't have to do another gig for that kind of pleasure it was just stunning night good job this fella pulled you out of the kitchen on a pad shorts isn't it oh that's for sure that's for sure. Didn't even know I did that. Probably wouldn't have approached him at all if I knew that he was after stepping up. I have to listen to him all the time. That's the only thing. But anyway. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. You're listening to the Song Collector podcast, brought to you from Cork, Ireland, by Roy Buckley Music. You could chat to Mikey all day and all night. That's the thing. Yeah. There's all sorts of stories and adventures. And just, I mentioned at the start, he's celebrating a significant birthday at the moment. And it's great to see him out of retirement and back making music and back loving the music again as he hits his 60s. Big time, man. I mean, that's true what he said earlier about um, being in at the very, the very first sound collector session. He, Mike turned up and, and did that, you know, helped get us off the ground a bit. Um, and he's after doing, oh, geez, he must be after doing about 20. Yeah. Sense, is he? Yeah, he turns up at nearly every second one. been around the world with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, another guy that you called in to wish a happy birthday to uh, this week um, is a fellow that has, again, attended many song collector sessions and we'll chat to him for a future one. He's a legend, though. One of the, what I call a quiet legend. Yeah. People say, who's Ricky Lynch? And then you play a song. Oh, he wrote that? I saw uh, on the website one time, he was it was described as... Um, Ricky Lynch, the best kept musical secret in Cork. 
that's kind of true about him. You have to see him play to know what that oh means, God, and it's he's, true. He's brilliant, but he, he's been doing Monday nights in Cork since the lobby. He stood a lobby on a Monday, and then um, when the lobby went or whatever, he crossed over to Coonahan's. And I tell you, any musician like who is off and is going to look around the city and stuff for music, you've got a couple of great guys, you know. You've got Hank and Ray over in Charlie's, mm. Andy Dunn in... Um, the Isle of a Plunkett on a Monday and got Ricky Lynch and Coonahans. And it's a hard one to, to go and pick because they're all great. And even if you try and catch half of one of their gigs mm. aiming to get to the second half of the other guy's gig, you never get to leave because you enjoy whoever it is you're at first too much that you never get to go. But I love catching Ricky on um, on a Monday night if I can. Uh, every couple of weeks I might get in, you know. Yeah. But I was delighted last Monday. I dropped in with some of my friends from the studio, from Kitten Lane studio. And um, it was Ricky's 69th birthday. Mm. And he's still knocking around Bob Dylan, the Beatles. And what I love is how he just slides his own originals in among yeah. Neil Young and whatever. And they just fit like a glove because he's such a great song. Do you know Mary Black recorded a couple of um You were telling Ricky me about songs. this, actually. One song in particular for Mary Black. Do you want it to feature? We wanted to give it a spin. Oh, I think we should feature on this podcast. It's called Marguerite and the Gambler. And it was, all, it was from a, a painting that... Um, Ricky saw it wasn't one of his and he created the story out of it did you ever see his artwork I have oh my god it's, isn't it phenomenal fabulous he does an exhibition every now and again in the city there and it blows you away it's not just the guy who's you know drawn lovely pictures and stuff the depth the detail he's just it's like anything he turns his hand to mm. he, he does a fine job on you know whether it's songwriting or painting or mm. he did this song I think at a, at a song collector session, yeah, but, but I, I probably hounded him to do it because I love the song. But this is Mary Black's version, and it's it's it's, it's in, look, it's in her own inimitable style. It's super. It's a and Mary Black is another great course, and but what a combination! When artists like that are doing your songs, mm. you made it years ago. Yeah, let's have an age. See the man in the picture with a falcon on his glove, a famous gambler. They say never knew. Lucky at cards, for he was lucky in love. He gave his heart to the lovely Marie. See the woman beside him whispering in his ear. She was a famous beauty with men falling at her feet. Her father was the richest man in the town of Belvedere. Met the lovely Marguerite The day when the handsome gambler man came through that town They met by chance in the corner of the street The scene was set for the tragedy It was love at first sight for the gambler and the lovely Marguerite The passion was a fire that could not be contained And when they made love Oh, how their hearts did beat And from that moment The whole world would be forever changed For the gambler And the lovely Marguerite When 
gambler had a room upstairs in a cheap hotel. The man lay in wait in an alley of the street. As the lovers strolled by, three shots rang out and the gambler fell. He died in the arms of the lovely Mother sent out for a doctor and a priest, but it was too late to save her body or her soul. She gone to meet the gambler who was waiting for his lovely Marguerite. See the man in the picture with the falcon on his glove, and the woman beside him, the queen of hearts, set her That's a lovely version of the song. To be fair to Mary and to anybody else, when Ricky does it, no one does it like him. I love Ricky. But that's Martin. a lovely version. I of it. Look, it, no song is ever performed, I think, by anybody quite as well as the person who wrote it. Well, I the, think a lot of a lot of songwriters or, or music lovers in general will, will tell you um, if you like a song, go on, go and find the original. You know, go on, go yeah. and find it. The guy who, like you said, the guy who wrote it, because that's it's not that like someone like Mary Black is well able to deliver a, a beautiful song like that, mm. that. That's how she's made her name. She's been uh, like brilliant. Nobody can sing songs like Mary either. But I love the um, the feeling and all that in in how the original songwriter, the guy who wrote it, why he wrote it. You can kind of nearly hear it in the voice or, yeah. the, or the, the style or whatever way they put it. Across. The influences that, made, love that, that yeah. put it together. Okay, now for our next instalment, Roy, I want listeners to listen to about two and a half minutes of material.
Listening to the Song Collector podcast, brought to you from Cork, Ireland, by Roy Buckley Music. And we won't tell them who wrote all those songs, but the person who wrote all those songs is the subject of our next big interview. Mm-hmm. You've become a very good friend of this man, and like Mikey, he's become a mentor. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this much. This might be a little bit of a hint, but I'll tell him. When I reached out to get this guy for a song collector session, they ran me. It wasn't going to happen. Never was, in, in, but I got it done. And he did four shows with me. It's a couple of years ago now, but we're talking about another one. I remember the day you rang me and you said, pull in. Yeah. Pull in. And you said, I have him. And I goes, you're missing. You've been, you're, you're <laughs> off your tablets again. <laughs> but you had him. And next time out, we'll have that interview. The guy is an absolute god in... Um, in songwriting. In songwriting. Yeah. Okay. okay well, I, I won't say anymore. What we want people to do now, of course, is listen, enjoy, and share. Tell your friends. Well, you, you know what? Getting the, the, the messages and, and, and people reaching out from across Ireland, and as we said at, at the top of the podcast, Canada and America and, and Australia and Sweden and Norway and all these places, mm. it's great. But please continue to do it for it to keep going and blossoming. Keep sharing it. And one thing we have said, Roy, is we also want this podcast to be a window, not just for the great artists that are good enough to give us their time for a chat, but also for a new artist or an artist that mightn't have had some material out in a long time. What we have, Roy, is an email address that people can send us MP3s or WAVs or even clips of video that they want us to look at and hear their music because we do want to find that brilliant new song as well. Well, PJ, you know me as long as as long as you know me. I've been. Uh, I love songs. I love stories and songs. I love kind of different angles and songs. Um, I'd love people to send in the stuff to us, whether you're a new artist or an established artist who has something new out, or maybe it might be a song that is out fifty years that we've just discovered. I don't know. I just like songs, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna. And because this podcast is ours, PJ, and we can decide on who, what what music we want to play and stuff, we don't have to answer to anybody. I'm gonna invite anybody who's listening to this. Send us your stuff. Give us a chance to listen to it. Um, we want to play artists yeah. that we enjoy. Songcollectorpodcast at gmail.com. That's the one. Okay. It's active now. Songcollectorpodcast at gmail.com. Wavs, MP3s, video clips, just decent quality, and we'll have a listen and a look. And if, for example, at a live gig, you've got a good recording off the desk. Coming from the desk would work, I'd imagine. Brilliant. Yeah. Good live recordings. 
studio recordings, anything that's good quality. Yeah, we but on, something on a smartphone isn't going to work, no, PJ, no, no, as, no, as no, you know, you know. No, no, but good quality recordings, yeah. we, we'll, we'll run them. Songcollectorpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today, Roy. See you next time. Okay, PJ. Thank you for listening to the Song Collector Podcast, brought to you by Roy Buckley Music. Now please, share the link with your friends.